Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Thanks, Josh. I was taken by surprise there. I just said to my wife, are the kids out? And of course they are. They're all out. They've all gone. So uh, that's taken me a little bit by by surprise. It's really great to be here. Thank you for those who pray for us regular. Uh, we've been away for a, a few weeks, not a holiday in, we, although last week we had a few days uh, just together as a family. But the previous weekends uh, we, we were in London and uh, it's, it's amazing what God's doing around the country. Uh, I want to tell you, a better response, it's amazing what God's doing around the country. And, uh, you know, I was just involved in, in a guy with his wife who were planting a church there in Bromley, very leafy Bromley, very expensive area. But to see what God is doing there was just wonderful. And as a family, we were able to enjoy that. And, uh, and then previous weeks, we've obviously been in Mansfield. It's great to see what God is doing in Mansfield, genuinely. Uh, Josh was there last week, 103 people in the, in the service Previous to that, you know, we was getting 101 and just breaking that 100 barrier. And you may say, well, is God into, into numbers? Well, there's a whole book in the Bible that shows that he's into numbers. And every number represents a person. And that's what we're into. We're into people. We're not into just numbers for numbers sake. We're into people. Change lives. God doing a work of salvation and grace in people's hearts and lives. And we want that to happen in Mansfield and Ilkeston and Belper and beyond to the glory of God. Amen. Anybody with me this morning? And uh, so if, if I'm not here, yeah, if we're going to give God a give praise offering, we might as well do it properly. So that's where we've been and somebody uh, funnily uh, said to me today, a couple of people actually, uh, hello, uh, my name's such and such, uh, are you new here today? Well, I'm not new here today, I just haven't been around for a few, for a few weeks. Welcome, thank you Josh. Just before we get into the message, I've got one or two things I want to say, but before I do that, I want to just pray. And uh, I felt very strongly, just whilst whilst we was in worship, to just pray for those who are business owners. If you have a a business and you're a business owner, small business owner, you might be leading a a multinational, I don't know. It might be you're also involved in sales, particularly, you know, sales environments. Um, I just wonder if you'd just stand to your feet. I'm not going to ask you to come out. You don't need to be embarrassed if it's your first time here. You, I'm encouraging you as well. Honestly, I'm not going to do anything other than there's a number of business owners. The stress and challenges that can come to business owners can be very, very real. And um, so I just want to pray for them. So everybody else who's seated, I wonder if you just stretch your hands towards these guys. And we're just going to believe together that, you know, God would prosper them and God would help them. So Father, I speak your prosperity. I just, I'm acting in accordance with obedience, but you just encourage me to get everybody stood to their feet who's in sales and business. And I speak prosperity. I speak blessing over your life as you are faithful with what God has given to you. And as you are generous with your resources, I pray that you would be blessed, that you would have an overflow that there would be an ease to the business. Those, those, those sales, those contracts that you're looking for, they'll come in in Jesus' name and there'd just be a flow of resource that comes to you in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless and build every business owner, every salesperson. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Please take your seats. You may say that, feel that a bit strange. It isn't. We pray for everything else. 
And often our business guys don't really get a lot of prayer. So I want you, I'm looking forward to receiving text messages and emails of how God is blessing you. And because the, the power of prayer, just that power of agreement that God just, we were, just a, a side story. I, I know Adam won't mind me saying this. We just had an agreement together because Adam runs a, a business, multiple businesses, d- different things that he's involved in. And we just agreed together and literally within days, wasn't it, Adam? God just turned it around. And it was amazing. And, you know, we just keep believing for that. So, you know, just receive it in Jesus' name. Can I just say very quickly that we have the launch, I know we've mentioned this, of our ministry school happening in uh, February. There will be further details in the one or two weeks ahead. And uh, this is for people who feel a particular call to ministry. It is more than likely going to demand that, you know, you have give a full day on a Friday. It's a 12-week course. We'll give further information. But we're wanting to raise up leaders. If we're going to plant more churches, if we're going to really light some fires across this nation uh, from a local church, we need to raise up leaders, called leaders, people who just say, you know what, I just, I, I know God's called me. But it's not just about the calling, it's about the training as well. And we want to train you. And so I'd ask you just to listen, listen out for the, the, that announcement when it comes through. And it may be that God begins to stir something in your heart. You feel called, but you've not known what to do with it. I'd encourage you to come and speak to Phil or myself or one of the leaders. And we'll give you further information about that. Next week, we're going to be launching a new series. Everybody go hip hip. Great. A new series that we're going to be beginning And of course, it's Remembrance Sunday uh, next week, but it's about the power of a decision and this will take us right up to Christmas. Yes, Josh has already mentioned it, that, you know, lovely word, but also that frighteningly fear and anxious, we're praying for fear and anxiety. A lot of you are now in fear and anxiety when we mention Christmas, but we're going to talk about the power of a decision. And um, I really believe that this series is going to be very, very helpful in so many areas. But before we get into it, who's ready for a funny story? I mean, they're always a bit fatal, these are, because they can just go there or they can go there. That's how it goes there. But there was a a guy who asked his wife to bury him with all his money when he died. So this is what she did. Let me tell you the story. There was a man who had worked hard all of his life and had saved all of his money. But he was a miser. He was a miser as well. And when it, particularly when it came to his money. And he just loved money more than just about anything else. And just before he died, he said to his wife, now listen, when I die, I want you to take all my money and place it in the casket with me. Because I want to take all my money to the afterlife. So he got his wife to promise him with all her heart that when he died, she would put all the money in the casket with him. Well, one day, you guessed it, he died. He was stretched out in the casket and the wife was sitting there in black next to their best friend and when they'd finished the ceremony and just before the undertakers got ready to close the casket, the wife said, just wait a minute. She had a shoebox with her and she came over with the box and placed it in the casket and then the undertakers locked the casket and rolled it away. Her friend said, I hope you weren't crazy enough to put all that money in there with that stingy old man of yours. She said, well, I promised. I'm a good Christian. I can't lie. I promised him that I was going to put that money in that casket with him. You mean to tell me that you put every pound of his money in the casket with him? I sure did, said the wife. 
I got it all together, put it into my account, and I wrote him a check. She's a very smart lady. Funny story. Not a true story, of course. A lot of quality characteristics running through that man. Miserly, selfishness, not being generous, withholding, all kinds of things. And over these last few weeks, we've been talking about, who are you, really? Who are you, really? Stuck very deep in my heart. I found it very, very challenging. And this morning, we're going to talk about who are you, really, in the area of self-control. So I wonder if you've got a pad and a pen or if you've got a mobile phone, whether you just lean in with me just for a few moments, because I have a lot of notes to go through and I'm going to race. And you won't be able to catch all of the references. I'm absolutely certain of that. And the reason why I'm asking you specifically to do this, because it's a subject that's not often taught in Christian circles. And yet it is so important in the life of a Christian. We've been talking about who are you really? And of course, the strap line that I've been using is we need, God is digging very deep in our hearts. He wants us to be real because fake is exhausting. If it's your first time here, you've got a a group of people that are genuinely real. Well, let me just talk about myself. What you see is what you get. I'm joking. Okay, I'm joking. That was just for effect. Can I just give you this, Caroline? Thank you. We wanted to be real. We wanted to be real people. We're not wanting to be fake. There was a time in my life where really I was just living to impress and just doing all the kinds of things that I guess a lot of people do. It became exhausting. It became exhausting. And so one of the characteristics of Arena Church is that we really do want to be authentic. We want to be original. We want to be genuine. And, um, but we, we recognize there are things in our lives that God wants to work on and deal with. And when we've been looking at this series, we've been taking the verses from Galatians in chapter 5, and they'll come on the screen, verses 22 to 23. Because Paul paints two pictures previous to this. He talks about a whole list of grotesque kind of things that people can live with and enter into, of selfishness and anger and envy and all those kinds of things that, let's be honest, we all can live in. But then he talks about, there's another picture, and this is called the fruit of the Spirit. Let's read together. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance. That means patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. Yeah, just move it on. Gentleness and self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And this is the fruit that God is wanting to produce in us and and also through us. This is where he wants to get to. This is who we are really. So your wife could testify of you. This is who you are. Your husband could testify. Your children could testify. Your employers could testify. Your neighbors could testify that this is who you are. Really. And this is the fruit that God is wanting to produce in us. But what I love about this list is that, in my mind, Paul saved the best till last. Because he saved these two words, self-control. 
And we often try to kid ourselves, let's be honest now, and others about our self-control. We try and make out that we're more self-controlled than we actually are. When I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about a verse that has really spoke to me on different occasions, written by a man by the name of Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and travelled long distances to preach the good news and he established churches wherever he went. He was a dynamic leader and preacher and teacher. And in Romans in chapter 7 verse 15, he writes this and he's writing it to the church and I love his absolute honesty because he says, Church of Rome, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Have you got that? Anybody can resonate with that verse. Is this the story of your life too? Because it is of mine. There are some things that I detest, but I end up doing them. And there are some things I so desperately want to do, and they're good for me, but I don't end up doing them. Oh my goodness. And this is what Paul is addressing. He's addressing this whole issue, I think, even in these verses of self-control. Because we want to do certain things with our eating, with our spending, with our exercising, with our sleeping, with our snacking, with our working. The list goes on. Where do you need to be more self-controlled? Where do I need to be more self-controlled in? You see, some people say, well, it's not really a self-control issue. It's more of a willpower issue. Let me tell you, and some of you are going to be, you're going to be in the 20%. Because 80% of New Year resolutions fail by the second week of February. So you're going to be in the 20% and you're going to want to speak to me on the door. And I'm happy to talk with you. But the majority of people here... Listen, the majority of people here, if you make a New Year's resolutions, not even by the second week of February, probably by the second week of January, you failed that resolution. In fact, let's do a straw poll. Who's ever here made a resolution? Don't lie to me now. Come on. Who's ever made a resolution? Raise your hand. Who's ever made a resolution? I know there's more of you than that. Okay. And who has failed that resolution? Now put your hands down if you made it, once you've made it. Who's, if, if, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm now confusing you. If you. Yeah, there you are. What I'm basically saying is we've all made them and we've all failed them. And people say it's a willpower issue. It's not. It's a self-control issue. I've I, I just recently passed another milestone, another birthday, uh, 21 again. It's amazing how this 21 keeps rocking and rolling. And some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? We're older in years. Yes, 21 keeps rocking and rolling. Okay. <laughs> And I received a birthday book, and it was called The Coaching Habit. And in there, it read, uh, there was a study that was completed by Duke University. And it stated that 45% of our waking behavior is habitual. So we don't have to think about what we're doing. Nearly half of our lives is spent in doing things that are pure habit. But they were advocating in this book, and it was just a chapter of it, that to create a new habit, there are five components. I'm just going to give them to you very quickly. They say that to make a new habit or to create a preferred habit, you have to first of all make a vow. That basically means you promise to yourself, you're making a commitment. So let's use it for example, I'm not going to keep snacking. 
Snacking's going to not be on my vocabulary. You make a promise, a commitment to yourself that you're going to push the Mars bars away from you. You're going to put the Walker's crisps away. You're going to have nothing to... Oh, I'm sorry, guys. You're going to have nothing to do with it. The second thing is they advocate that you've got to figure your trigger. What they're saying in that is you have to understand what triggers the old behavior. What triggers... What, what is the trigger point in... in, in in, in stopping you from entering to the new and taking you back to the old. The third thing is, they call it the double S, short and specific. Basically means to write it down, get a plan. I remember when I, I lost a lot of weight oh, 10, 15 years ago. And before you make any comment, we, I know, okay, I just know. But many, many years ago, and the, the instructor wrote a plan down. They wrote a plan. Make a pan. It was, it was short and it was specific. Fourthly, they said if you want to create a new habit, you've got to then practice it, which basically means it's no good just making a plan. You've got to then go and do it. You've then got to actively work out what you are looking to change. And fifth, fifthly, which I loved, you've got to plan then how to get back on track. Because how many of you know when you're trying to create a new habit, it's not all going to run perfectly swimmingly all the time. You're going to fall off the wagon, excuse the phrase. You're just going to, there's going to be mistakes that you make. There's going to be failings. And by the way, God is comfortable with your failings. God is comfortable with your mistakes. God is comfortable with your brokenness. I need you to just know that. Because everybody's just looking for self-improvement. And then, and we even take it to God. I've got to be this improved, perfect person. And God loves me. No, listen to me. God loves you as you are. And you know what I love about it? He doesn't ask where you are or where you've been or what you've been doing. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. In your lostness, he doesn't come to say, where you've been, what you've been doing, why have you been behaving that? He doesn't ask any of those questions. How do I know that? Because Luke 15 says the father just held out his hands to the prodigal son and just received him. I keep getting wrecked by the furious love of God at the minute. His love is breathtaking. It really is. And so we have to figure out how we're going to get back on track, which means we have to be resilient. Another three, let me just put them down. I don't think they're in your notes. I think it's important if we wanted to create a new habit, which is all about self-control. This will help you. These are practical things, but we're going to get into the Bible a little bit more in a few moments. I think it's important in my life that you confess your issue. So Josh, I have an issue, so I need to confess, confess it with somebody who's a confident, who's not going to go and blab it all over everywhere. But I confess my issue. I confess my issue to God and I confess my issue to a brother. And then, which is connected to it, I find a friend. I find a friend who's going to keep me accountable. Who's going to say, what are you doing in the area of eating? What are you doing in the area of sleeping? What are you doing in the area of snacking? Or whatever your issue is. And then thirdly, you've got to get in agreement. So if I'm in this friendship now, I get in agreement. We agree together. We're going to walk this together. We're going to pray this together. We're going to stand together. Are you with me? This is all very helpful practically if we're going to defeat the areas of habit, bad habits in our lives. And by the way, those other three are exactly why you need to go down to the small group stand. <sighs> if we're not in groups... You're not going to do it alone. You've got to have somebody who's going to walk at the side of you and who's going to provoke you and who's going to challenge you and they're going to do it in love. That's why we need it. Now let me tell you, these things here, are you still with me? Yeah. 
You've not nodded off. Nudge your neighbour next to you and say, are you still awake? Are you still with this man at the front? Just nudge the other neighbour and say, I'm just going to look a little bit more excited while he's preaching. Listen to me, this is great advice. And I'll use these strategies, these five things that I've just found and those three that have been personal to me. But I conclude the real issue to a lack of self-control is often a sin issue. It's a story of my life anyway. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the first murder. Yeah, Cain and Abel. And for those who don't know, you'll find it in Genesis in chapter 4. That's the first book in the Bible. And Cain and Abel were two brothers. And Abel brought wonderful produce before God, generous produce. And God was pleased with his, but with Cain, he just brought small portions. And it says that God wasn't pleased with him. And Cain knew it. And then Cain started plotting things in his heart. Envy, anger murderous thoughts, lack of self-control. And it says in Genesis 4 verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You must master it. I once heard somebody preach from this this passage, if you are not your brother's keeper, you are your brother's killer. So don't be telling me that it's not my business in church. Listen, we all need to be keepers of one another. We all need to uphold and speak well of one another. We all need to strengthen one another. That's what we do in families. But we see here Cain was not committed to this process And exactly that, this sin that was crouching, that desired to rule over him, took hold of him. And for me, sin is all those things of the I. At the center of sin is is the letter I. It's all the selfishness, it's all the indulgence, it's my pleasures, my appetites, my feelings. Let's be honest now, we all can live like this with a complete lack of self-control. And this sin, that is the root of it, it says here, sin lurks in dark areas and sin looks for an access point. Sin lurks, sin looks. Sin lurks, sin looks. And in my life, that is so true. This sin, it lurks around It crouches around. It's looking for some way that it can get in. It's lurking and looking. It looks in the dark areas of our lives. That's why I love this series, Who Are We Really? I've been transparent with you and honest with you. All the preachers have done that. Areas that we're working through. There's no point in us being fake because it's exhausting. We want to be real, don't we, in Jesus' name? And this sin is exhausting. And by the way, when I was lost without a saviour, I knew it. And you know it too. You don't need to tell somebody that they're a sinner. We already know it. Our sinners built a wall and a road away from God. 
The Bible says, for all have sinned. And what I've realized about sin is it whispers quietly, you can never be forgiven. You are a lost cause. And today, it may be even in this environment, which is faith-filled, which is uplifting, which is life-giving. All you've heard whisper in your heart today is because of your sin, you could never be forgiven. Because of your sin, you are a lost cause. I want to say that is a lie. And that is why we sing songs like breaking every chain. Because they are lies of the enemy. You are not a lost cause. You can be forgiven. But sin whispers. But I want to say God's love shouts. Everybody say shouts. God's love shouts. In the midst of this whisper, forgiveness to all without exception. Aren't you glad for this good news? That is why we want to announce it, not just on Christmas Day or up to Christmas or on Easter Sunday. We want to announce it 365 days of the year. Is anybody with me this morning? What good news we have for Ilkeston and Mansfield and Belper and beyond. It's great news. It's good news for all. And boy, do I need this good news at times. Because of the sin that lurks and looks. You know, we try and live so that he will love us rather than living because he has already loved us. He leaves the 99 to recover the one that was lost. I've already mentioned it. Why is that? Because of his furious love, his pursuit of mankind. So we see that sin, I think, is the key issue here with regards to self-control. And so just in these last few moments, I want to conclude and I want to encourage us to take those thoughts that we've got there. If you've taken them, you may want to get them from the media team if you didn't get them. About those five components and then the other three that I've attached to it, that's fine. But I, I want to encourage you in two areas straight from God's Word. Is that okay? Because it's God's Word that will change us, not a book. We want His book, not anybody else's book. When I thought about this, there were just two things that really struck me from Galatians in chapter 5. Because here we see the first thing that I conclude, if we're going to really overcome sin and walk in self-control, first of all, we need to crucify the flesh and its passions. Galatians 5 verse 24 says this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now listen to me very carefully. Keep that on there for a moment. It doesn't say that we have killed the flesh and it could have done. It uses the word very carefully and very intentionally crucified. And the reason why it uses the word crucified, because as Christian believers, this church understood what Jesus had to go through. They also would have understood the teachings of Jesus, where it would have been taught, no doubt, that not only was Jesus hung upon a cross, but we were called to take up our cross and to follow him. So when we see here that we are Called, and it says, those who belong to Jesus Christ, those who have stepped into faith in Jesus, were called to crucify our flesh with its passions 
and desires. So this is a reminder of Jesus and what he did and how he was crucified. Secondly, we are called to take up our cross. And thirdly, we understand that death is painful. And this death is is decisive. It's far easier to enjoy the lusts of our flesh and passions. It's far more painful and far more internal when we crucify those passions of the flesh. I used to think the older I got, the less of the passion of the flesh there would be. And some of you are older than me and have more grey hair and I've now realised that is not the case. Hello, anybody? So you young people, if you think, it's only going to get better as I get older, I want to tell you, I'm sorry, guys. The temptations are still as real. Can I hear a big amen from the over 50s? It's true. We are all called to crucify the flesh and its passions. And how do we do that? Because time's running away. It's every day. God, what did Jesus encourage the believers to say? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. I pray it most days over my life. Deliver me from it. Lead me not into temptation. Coming before God in prayer, reading his word. Psalm 119 says that if, we, if we're to keep sin away from us, we do it by hiding God's word in our hearts. Secondly, not only are we called to crucify the flesh and its passions, but we also see from Galatians chapter 5 again, that Paul encourages us to keep in step with the Spirit. Now this walking is done watchfully and carefully. Let me just show you something. In Galatians 5 verse 16, Paul says, before we get to the verses that we've read, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's talking very graphic, real language. He's saying, church, I know there's an element of flesh and you want to gratify them, but to keep away from that list, you're going to do that by walking by the Spirit of God. And then at the end of Galatians 5, he uses his similar sort of language in Galatians 5.25. And he then says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So he says, walk by the Spirit. And now he's saying, keep in step with the Spirit. Now, this is where I need you to understand something really carefully. Because as I was studying it, I've never seen this before. Okay? We better understand what Paul is writing here if we understand that the two words that he uses for walk are different from Galatians 5.16 and Galatians 5.25. In verse 16, the normal word for walking used there is a picture of the walk of life. How we just walk in through our everyday life. So he's saying here, let's go it again. So I say walk by the Spirit in your everyday life and then you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He's basically saying here, the Spirit has given you life. So in your everyday walking, let Him direct your steps. 
We trust God that in our everyday walking, God is going to keep us from evil. God is going to keep us from temptation. Can I hear a big amen? Do you understand that? So there's the first part. But the second in verse 25, where it talks about, so I, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The second one means to walk in line with or to be at one with. This is talking about an alignment. This is not just going for a walk on our own. This is God walking with us. Do you understand? So as I take a step, God is walking a step with me. I once spoke from this and strictly was just hitting the screens. Oh yeah, I look, forget X Factor. Who loves strictly? There we are, Josh. You've not got the audience, mate. I'm sorry. Okay, strictly. I mean, don't we just love it? It's just terrific. And they're amazing how they take these amateurs and just begin to just be so at one, particularly at the end of the final show and Di's here looking because that's what she does. In fact, we all ought to say, Di, you're our celebrity. Go on strictly. Show them how to do it. Who, who believes that's, that's the will of God? Yeah. These dancers are amazing. Ballroom and cha-cha-cha and tango. I'm not, Caroline, don't worry, I'm not. you'll encourage me they're so in line they're so in line they're so in step they're like one that moves this is what this is what the bible is talking about here it's not our everyday walking it's that God wants to go with us he wants to align himself with us he wants to move with us he wants to shape our lives have you got that this is what it's talking about and I believe that these this walking, in our everyday walking, to be directed by God and for us to keep in step with God will keep us from evil and will enable us to live with a self-control like we've never known before. It's not just about five coaching habits, three components. It's about crucifying the flesh And it's about walking in the Spirit. So here's a few questions as we finish. Think of those who have been here every week that we've preached. This is a conclusion to the whole series. What areas of, of our lives need crucifying? Do you still get a bit too jealous? Do you still get angry? Are you living with sensual appetites constantly? Can you identify those areas where you are most tempted to sin? It's no good having messages if I'm not going to ask you some questions. Don't all look blank at me. Can we identify those areas? Because this is who we'll become. Thirdly, some of you here, you're just running on willpower. And and if you're good, you'll be in the 20%, but most of you will be in the 80, so you'll fail. The only way we really enter into this fruit of the Spirit and this spacious life that God has got for it is by us receiving the wonderful gift of salvation. Have you received it in its fullness? Here's another question, last question. 
Are you ready to walk and keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Are you ready to say, Holy Spirit, this is your day. Guide me. And by the way, don't just guide me. But your promise is you'll walk with me. We're, we're one. Just align me. So when I'm tempted to say a bad word, no. when I'm tempted to think a wrong thought, when I'm tempted to go, no. Because there's an alignment. He's drawing us back to where we need to be. Am I okay for just one more minute? Because I really want to conclude with this. I read something in my devotional this week. I thought I need to sum all this series up. Who are you really? Again, in a verse in Galatians, I don't know whether it's on the screen. I attached it to the notes, but it might not be on there. Galatians 2, verse 20. If it's not, it's not a problem. Galatians 2, verse 20, and I'll read it to you. Paul says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Listen to me very carefully while this verse remains on the screen. I wonder if the musicians would just come and join me. Just up here, please. The aim of this series, just all look at me, not at them. The aim of this series is for Christ and his spirit to live in us. And as one version of this verse says, listen to this. Somebody commentated on this verse. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. They said, the living acts of a Christian become somehow the acts of Christ. That is so powerful. The living acts of of a Christian become somehow the very acts of Christ. That is the attention of this series, is that his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control, all that he manifests while he walked on the earth and all that he is, we would become. And we would live this out in our everyday living. And it's possible as we crucify the flesh and as we say Holy Spirit have your way in my life all glory to Jesus I'm going to say it again all glory to Jesus if you're here today you've never received Jesus as your saviour you've never received this wonderful gift of salvation in a moment I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that and it's simply by you opening your heart not literally but your spirit and saying God I know I've got it wrong and I'm a sinner and we all are I am and the guy who wrote most of what I've talked about said he was the chief of sinners that's what he thought about himself But his grace is sufficient for every one of us. Wherever you've been, whatever you've been doing, wherever you've been living, Christ is enough. His grace is sufficient for you. You simply have to come and confess him as Lord and ask him to forgive you and he will change you from the inside out. What? Oh my goodness. What a divine exchange that takes place. 
And in a moment, I'm going to give people opportunity to do that. But there's others here today. We've been Christians for years and we haven't heard some of this stuff taught like we've heard it taught. We've not had it go as deep as it's gone, as deep over these series. And we've got to be committed to saying, I'm going to crucify the flesh because it says those who belong to Christ, if you're outside of Christ, you can't do that. But those who are Christians, those who belong to Christ, we're called to crucify our flesh with its passions and desires. You might be saying here today, yeah, that area that keeps tripping me up, God, I put it to death. I put it under the cross. And I'm going to lean into the Holy Spirit like I've never leaned in before. And I'm going to believe that change is going to come about in Jesus' name. Everybody bow their heads.